So we find ourselves at the heart of the retreat. Yeah. In the heart, I like to call this the heart of the retreat. Yeah. Where there's a momentum already, yeah, of practice, of intention. where there's insights yeah. and deepening, even if it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> this funny thing that happens on retreat, you know, we become more sensitive and our gaze is more clear. And so sometimes we see yeah, what we think, oh, it's the same busy mind <laughs> that I started with. I can feel like that sometimes. But actually, is it? Yeah. Because there's more sensitivity and there's more clarity. So more things are being seen. Yeah. So I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, please feel free. I think it might be a little bit crowded at the back. Please feel free to come. If you want, you can come forward. Also, there's even a few spots right here. The expensive tickets. <laughs> often available. So what we've been doing together over the days and what we'll continue to do is um, been opening to exploring, becoming more familiar with, more sensitive to um, the ways in which our experience is conditioned, yeah, the conditionality of experience. Another way we can say this, we've become more sensitive, more aware, we've opened more to see that uh, our experience is constructed, yeah, is fabricated, yeah, which means put together, yeah, it's put together. And we're becoming more sensitive, we're looking at different ways yeah, that it's constructed, fabricated, put together. And I find it really helpful to know that and also to remember what's the habitual way yeah, that we tend to see things, you know, which is to see them as separate, independent. Yeah. We see things that are happening as kind of separate from us. They're out there, even when they're in here. <laughs> Yeah, even if it's something internal, yeah, like a pain in the body, yeah. We we have that, yeah. This is me and this is what's happening, yeah, out there. This is the object. Yeah. We see things as independent even when they're in relationship. It's it's I find it pretty interesting. But then I'm weird. 
been aware of that for quite a long time. So the teachings are really uh, inviting us to look at the habit yeah, and to look beyond that habit, yeah, to look, we can say, deeper. Yeah. To see not only that experience is constructed, yeah, fabricated, made up, yeah, but also to see how. Yeah. To also see in what ways. So, for example, one thing that we've been kind of pointing out is that our experiences is fabricated by the habits of attention, of what we pay attention to, yeah. and of how. Yeah. What and how. And neither of these in themselves, they're also not just a thing separate, yeah independent, not conditioned, right? So if we take an example that Nathan used in the talk yesterday, uh, having the sensation of uh, a part of the body falling asleep, yeah, often the legs, yeah. And so we have the pins and needles or the numbness, yeah. So there's a habit of attention, which is a conditioned habit, to be pulled to the unpleasant experience, right? Our attention goes to the legs falling asleep rather than to say, um, you know, the top of the head, <laughs> which is not feeling unpleasant at all. Yeah. Both of those are there. Yeah. But the habit of attention is to go, to be drawn to the unpleasant. There's also the labeling of something as unpleasant, which is also conditioned. Yeah. You can see this uh, often with temperature. <laughs> we label something a certain way. I grew up in the Middle East. Yeah. So sometimes on a British summer or winter day, people will be walking around in shorts. And I'm just like, you're absolutely mad. I'm freezing. Yeah, I'm so cold, and you're wearing shorts. Yeah, and so like, who's got the real experience? <laughs> yeah. oh, it's conditioned by, yeah, habit, biology. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? A certain temperature, yeah, which we think is neutral and objective. It's not. Depends on the habit of how we label something. So where attention goes and how we label experience is habitual, is conditioned. Yeah. Also the how, yeah, that way of relating, we can say, yeah. habitually we'll meet, as we've been saying, the pleasant with this. Yeah, I want. Yeah need to hold on, yeah. or we'll meet the unpleasant with the pushing away. Mm -hmm. And through that way of relating, our experience will be shaped a certain way. Yeah. We'll be shaped a certain way. We'll receive uh, a particular flavor. I'm going to say more about that yeah. this evening.
So another way of saying experience is conditioned. Yeah, my experience is conditioned at the moment by the fact that Nathan's taking notes over there. <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> I had to say, it's just so funny to see it. Like catch something. <laughs> the Buddha offered us a map, yeah, to look at this uh, conditionality, uh, to look at this construction fabrication of experience, which can also be uh, referred to as how our uh, experience is dependently arising. Yeah. And Nathan touched on it yeah, last night and this morning, actually only looking at part of, of the map on this retreat. And so there's sense contact, yeah? I catches something happening, yeah? There's sense contact. Yeah? And, really interesting here, yeah? The Vedana comes, Vedana's unpleasant. <laughs> in this case, in my example right now. Well, we'll give other examples. <laughs> Sorry, Nath. <laughs> Not you, the fact that you're writing. <laughs> and the Vedana, let's remember what we're calling it, the niceness opinion. Yeah? A niceness opinion, is that nice, is that not nice? Yeah. For someone else, yeah, sitting here, yeah, someone taking notes might feel very pleasant. Yeah. So it's a niceness opinion. That's personal. So we have the contact, we have the Vedana, the niceness opinion. That niceness opinion escalates, yeah? When we don't take it in, when we don't, um, when we're not aware of it, builds up, yeah? And builds up into what? Into what is called tanha, yeah? Another layer, thirst, preference, demand. Yeah? I'll, give a, I'll give a different example in a minute. And that turns into the push-pull yeah, that we have on experience. Yeah? This is nice, therefore I want more of it. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. Pull. And we might already see in the movements I'm making. <laughs> Can we see what's arising with that? A good old friend, Dukkha. Yeah? In that push and pull. Yeah. That's a building of dukkha. That's a co-arising with dukkha. So let's take an example from practice. Yeah. So we're practicing, and well-being arises. Yeah, it may be calm. It may be metta. Yeah, it may be a a moment of no discomfort in the body. Yeah, you have many. Some well-being arises, and that has a pleasant vedana. And we might see, yeah, in the mind, oh, this is nice, yeah, this is nice. That typically will escalate. This is nice, oh, I want more of it, yeah. How can I get more of it? How can I hold on it, onto it? And that, again, if we are not attentive will escalate to, I need it to stay this way. Yeah? 
I need it to stay this way. So the escalation, the contraction arises with the push and pull and experience and again, dukkha. Yeah. From what was initially a lovely thing. Yeah. And thankfully it doesn't always happen <laughs> that way. Yeah. But we all know uh, moments of that. So dukkha, yeah, we've been talking about it, we've been uh, reminding ourselves what it means, but just to say again, ill-being, the opposite of well-being, ill-being. The full range of that ill-being from something just not being, you know, quite right, yeah, to, uh, to quite a lot of stress, yeah, that whole range. So this map of uh, dependent origination, yeah, that the Buddha gave us, yeah, shows us how dukkha is constructed and fabricated by various conditions, yeah, including the way of relating, the way of paying attention to something, yeah, including that. So dukkha is not independent of conditionality, yeah? not independent of how we're relating in any particular moment. It's not independent of the habits of mind which are already impacting us and that we are also creating moment by moment. Yeah? So, important thing to say. This does not mean that if there is suffering in our lives, it's our fault. Okay? Doesn't mean this. Yeah? Doesn't mean this. It means that we have a gateway of responding to the difficulties that will arise, that do arise for us as human beings have a gateway of responding through the way that we relate. So I want to give another example. This is um, this came up here in the retreat. Yeah. So a sense of tiredness, yeah, which I think has been very uncommon. <laughs> Hasn't been mentioned at all. <laughs> and no heads have been nodding in the meditation, yeah. So an experience of tiredness, yeah, arising. And noticing, yeah, that the habit of responding to tiredness is aversion, yeah. It's trying to get rid of, it's pushing away, yeah. Doing, I'm doing this, you see. (laughs) I'm going to get you tiredness, yeah. Kind of clench the fist. And then opening through the practice to another way of relating, which is to hold the experience with metta, to unclench that fist that is pushing away the tiredness or trying to get non-tiredness. So to hold the experience, the same experience, tiredness is still there, held in metta. Held in metta, an attitude of metta, of non-aversion. And the interesting thing is, yeah, uh, it's possible with that. A tiredness 
will still, may still be there, doesn't necessarily disappear. But the sense of problem, the sense of ill-being, shifts dramatically. Shifts dramatically. And then well-being is possible, even with an experience that we would habitually (laughs) be conditioned to see as unpleasant. Does this make sense to people? Yeah, yeah. This is quite amazing, yeah. It's quite amazing. And it kind of opens up possibilities of of deepening insight and understanding. See that, ah, the impact of the way of relating on experience. The impact of the way of relating on experience. And then the possibility to cultivate, to develop yeah, ways of relating that are skillful, that degree, decrease dukkha, yeah, decrease ill-being for ourselves and for others and for the world. Yeah. Which is a pretty good use, I feel, of a human body, heart and mind. Yeah. It's a pretty good use. And this seeing, this possibility, takes us, you know, right back to the Buddha's first teaching, which some of you are very familiar with. Right back to the first teaching of the four uh, ennobling truths, and specifically the first two. When the Buddha, you know, says, in life there is dukkha. In life there is dukkha. And then he asks, and what does dukkha arise with? Yeah. Or we can say, when there is dukkha, what else is there? Yeah. When there is dukkha, what else is there? Mm. That's a really helpful question. Yeah. Really helpful question for us to ask. It reminds us that dukkha does not just exist independently of other things. Yeah? It's a conditioned thing. So when there is dukkha, what else is there? A big part of our practice, of our exploration. And because he's a pretty kind and wise, or was a pretty kind and wise being, he, <laughs> he tells us what else is there <laughs> with dukkha. Yeah. Dukkha arises, co-arises, is the language, co-arises with tanha, with this thirst, this demand, usually commonly translated as craving. This clenched fist that says, I need things, I demand that things are my way, are this way. Yes to this, no to that. Push that away, pull this in. Yeah? Constantly that movement. Mm. Which in itself is dukkha. I think this is the really important thing to see. Yeah? And it arises with contraction. Yeah? It arises with a sense of contractedness and limitation. Yeah, well, come back to this. 
So when there is dukkha, what else is there? This tanha, this craving, this demand is there. Contraction is there. And interestingly, the Buddha didn't stop just with those two first truths. He also said, you know, there is, there is a way out of Dukaville. <laughs> yeah. There is a path. Yeah. It's possible for us, and there's a path that we can follow, path of practice. And part of that path is cultivating yeah wisdom cultivating understanding cultivating wholesome ways of relating to experience and part of the path is deepening the wisdom of understanding the conditionality of dukkha what it arises with and what it feels like yeah becoming more familiar with it not in a masochistic kind of way <laughs> at all yeah so we can ask ourselves you know what is the felt sense of dukkha yeah. when there's dukkha yeah. i said it there's contraction and when we become sensitive when we think you know maybe there's dukkha right now maybe you're not very comfortable yeah or you know your feet are cold or something <laughs> and we pay attention might notice there's a contraction with that, yeah? contraction in the body space. There's a, a sense of limitation, yeah? a sense of limitation, a sense of things being fixed and rigid. And what we call a reification, taking things to be real. Yeah? Like that sense of, oh, this is unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I often find, um, I get, get to teach meditation in places where there's a lot of flies. <laughs> and uh, it's a real practice. Yeah. So you're meditating and there's flies kind of crawling all over your face. <laughs> sometimes you know they come and have a drink from the eyes or decide that crawling up the nose is a really interesting thing to do and the habit is so strong yeah to feel it as unpleasant and and really unpleasant but when one goes really into the detail of the sensation yeah depends where but you know <laughs> sometimes yeah you can feel actually the delicacy of the touch, yeah? Yeah, that, that really delicate creature, yeah? And the touching, yeah, and the crawling, moving along the face with that delicacy of touch. Yeah? So we believe that something is unpleasant, but what happens, uh, just as an example, when we really bring the subtlety of our attention, the sensitivity of our attention with an open mind yeah, to the experience. Mm -hmm. Kind of things open up. Yeah? We may be yeah, not so uh, convinced 
Yeah, that something is real, independent, solid, permanent, all these things that we put on experience, all these ideas and concepts that uh, we put on it. So when there's dukkha, when there's a, it's interesting to see all that comes with it. <laughs> the sense of fixedness and realness to things and permanence to things. Yeah? It comes, comes along. And that contractedness and limitation, which we can experience and feel in the body, we can also feel it in awareness. Yes, on a more subtle level. Also feel it in awareness. So we might already be getting a sense, yeah, that this kind of felt sense experience of dukkha, yeah, of ill-being, is in many ways the other end of the spectrum or the opposite of uh, things like metta or like samadhi, which we mentioned today, a sense of, you know, well-being, harmonization, unification, gatheredness of body, heart and mind. Or expansiveness. Yeah. And it can be interesting to see ah, if dukkha arises with uh, contraction, the opposite of dukkha arises with spaciousness yeah, or expansiveness, with non contraction. If dukkha arises with um, a sense of non-harmonization, of push-pull on life, of quarrels and disputes, it's a wonderful (laughs) way of looking at it. And the opposite of dukkha is gatheredness, unification, collectedness, non-reactivity. So just to kind of go into this more a little bit, yeah? It's important to feel how dukkha shows itself, yeah, in the body, yeah? That contraction, that tension, yeah? And the same in the awareness, the energy body. Um, We might notice this kind of leaning towards things or leaning away from them, yeah? All of that, And with that, I think I mentioned it, maybe in one of the question and response sessions, the sense of the separation between the experiencer and the object of experience. The focus is on the external, what's happening there, even when it's in here. So narrow focus. The opposite of that would be something wider that can hold both. Yeah, it can hold a wider scope, a wider range. If we contemplate what happens, yeah, when dukkha is there, what happens in the mental, emotional, yeah, life or activity, the non-matter, the rejection, the pushing away, yeah, and that movement of separation, even when we're trying to grasp something, but we're actually pulling apart, yeah? 
because it's there, then I'm here. <laughs> yeah? Dukkha. And that sense of for me that's in there all the time. Yeah? Trying to hold on to this for me. Yeah? To keep it for me. So we can open this further and as we get more familiar, yeah, as we reflect, yeah, these are some of my reflections yeah, and, how, uh, and how dukkha appears, how it's constructed, fabricated uh, through the way of relating, yeah, through the body, yeah, through the body. As we understand the process of construction, as we understand what some of the building blocks are, yeah, that frees us up to attend, to respond. Yeah. I feel like we need a drum roll or something. <laughs> yeah, a kind of there is a possibility to attend and to respond. Yeah. There is. Yeah. I was reminded today of um, one of the stories uh, to do with uh, the Buddha's awakening. Yeah. He was quite, uh, he, she, they were quite a dedicated practitioner. Yeah. And, um, you know, really long journey. Yeah. And when they awoke, yeah, and they rested in that state for a while, the story is that they, they felt that this teaching is so subtle, yeah, so subtle. that it would be impossible to explain it to anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I was just remembering it today. It really, really moved me. And the story is that then a, a deva, a divine being, comes down and convinces the Buddha. They say to, to the Buddha, you know, this, there are some beings with little dust in their eyes. Yeah. There are some beings that could hear and understand. So please, yeah, please share this. And, you know, somehow, he, she, they are convinced. Yeah. And begin teaching. And teach for 40 years. And 2,600 years later, yeah, we're still hearing, contemplating, practicing, exploring those teachings of awakening. Because somebody said, please. <laughs> yeah. But this possibility, yeah, this is kind of what I was trying to get to with this story, this possibility. Yeah. To have 
uh, clear, more and more clarity, less and less dust in our eyes as we practice, as we explore. To understand the process of the building of experience and to understand and to practice the remedies. What brings freedom? What brings wakefulness? And the interesting and beautiful thing is that, you know, it's the same things, yeah. So, you know, if we say dukkha arises with contraction in the body, we can go to the body and soften, invite contraction to relax and release, yeah, to open. We can... uh, understand that dukkha arises with the mental fabrication of aversion and grasping and of for me. And we can cultivate and prioritize attitudes of metta, of appreciation, of compassion, of allowing, of opening, of softening. We do that or if you were enjoying the practice today of staying with the Vedana or bringing metta to the Vedana. And we start to see, how does that impact the degree of dukkha and well-being and experience? Monica was mentioning at the end of the beautiful guided practice she offered, uh, she mentioned her love of the neutral (laughs) relationship, yeah, bringing metta to the neutral relationship. And she said, what does it reveal? Yeah. What does it reveal? That when we uh, get the metta going yeah, towards something or someone yeah, that we see as neutral, they stop being neutral. Yeah. We start to be more aware of our care for them. So how we relate can change the way we perceive the object. Does that make sense to people? A little bit? So dukkha is conditioned, constructed, fabricated. And of course, when dukkha is present, yeah, also builds aspects of experience in a certain way. Yeah? So it's conditioned and conditioning, constructed and constructing. Yeah? Arises with that tanha, that demand and the clenched fist and the push-pull and the contraction. Yeah. I've said it so many times, <laughs> but yeah, I need to keep remembering that. Yeah. But it also builds more contraction. Yeah. Also builds more contraction when it goes unattended. Yeah. 
So again, we may have discomfort in the body, or maybe we'll go back to the flies. <laughs> flies landing on the face. Imagine yourself in some warm place where there's lots of flies and you're meditating outdoors. <laughs> yeah. A fly li- lands on the face and there's the unpleasant. And around the unpleasant there's contraction. But the contraction itself is unpleasant. Yeah? And so we get more contraction. And the dukkha builds. Yeah? And the same thing with any unpleasant uh, sensation that we may have. With that caveat of don't go to the most difficult <laughs> physical sensations. Work with the mild. Yeah? And it can be interesting to see, yeah, dukkha arises with tanha, with contraction. But what else does it build or what else does it co-arise with? Yeah? What is the sense of self like? Of me? Yeah. And what is the self of other? Yeah. Whatever that other is, a sound, a sensation. Yeah. Someone that arises in a memory. Yeah. A mood that we don't like. Yeah. What happens yeah, there? So when there is dukkha, yeah, there's also a much louder yeah more distinguished more distinct sense of self and sense sense of other So when we understand the conditionality of dukkha, yeah, the possibilities of freedom are revealed. Yeah. And we're not negating, I'm going to say this again, I said it earlier, we're not negating uh, a need to attend to our experience. Yeah. Our experience, the needs of the world. Yeah. Not saying this is instead of, it's alongside. Yeah. It's alongside. So if we have a pain in the body, it may be calling for our attention to do something about it. Yeah? And we do that. Yeah? But we also explore how much is that experience of dukkha, of suffering, how much is that constructed by how I'm relating. So we're interested to develop, to cultivate ways of relating that decrease dukkha. Yeah? A decrease dukkha, like opening, allowing, yeah, everything we've been practicing, metta, compassion, appreciation. We're also interested in learning, remembering, yeah, that when we relax the contraction, the dukkha also eases, also relaxes, yeah, and we can relax the contraction through the body, we can relax the contraction through the mind, through awareness. And we're interested to see that when dukkha eases, when contraction eases, what happens to the sense of a separate, independent self that is primarily concerned with me? What happens?
Krishna, what happens to the sense of a separate and independent other? So this works, yeah, in kind of multiple directions. Yeah, we can say when there's more contraction, there's more dukkha. And then when there's less contraction or more spaciousness, there's less dukkha. And the same with the sense of self and sense of other. And when we contemplate our practice, and what happens when metta is present, in its different forms, when we bring kindness to how we're meeting experience, when we have a sense of goodwill towards another or ourselves. What is the degree of contraction? And just pause a minute to reflect for yourself. And just believe me, because I'm sitting up here and I've said it so many times already. When metta is present, what happens to contraction? Yeah. It can be really worth experimenting. <laughs> we can kind of do it a little bit, like uh, make it a bit extreme. Really tight and contracted. How easy is it to feel loving there <laughs> or kind? Yes. Yeah? So we can kind of just get a sense of that. And then think of, yeah, when metta is there, which sometimes, you know, might not be an experience even from this retreat, but just times when we feel at ease in the world. Yeah? At ease in the world. You haven't done it yet. Try standing with the giants on the lawn. Yeah? Just go and stand next to one of them. Everyone know who I'm talking about? The big trees. Big, big trees. And that that sense of uh, ancient life. Receive that ease from them. So when metta is present, yeah, contraction eases. A sense of me as separate yeah, and independent from other yeah, eases. There's less separation. Yeah. There's more of a sense of connection and belonging. There's less dukkha. And there's more well-being. Maybe I'll just give a little example of that. So last week we were leading a tree planting retreat not far from here and we were blessed with no rain and some sunshine but pretty cold weather if you remember if you were in around 
at the time in Britain. It was pretty cold. (laughs) And so the the sense of, um, you know, having really cold feet, (laughs) being outside and being pretty cold. And then that privilege of having this delicate, yeah, oak, yeah, a few maybe months old, yeah, and the fragility of its roots, yeah, and having that there in the hands, yeah, and feeling that metta. And, uh, yeah, not flowing from me to it, <laughs> but there, yeah. And what does that do to the dukkha of cold feet? <laughs> yeah, melts it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So we can continue to develop yeah, this capacity to recognize, to work with the conditions that support the building of dukkha. And we will do so. Tomorrow we'll explore going more directly to this clenched fist and the contraction that it arises with to intentionally relax that. Relax that contraction. See the impact that that has on our experience. So let's have a moment of silence together. So as we feel the silence, inviting ourselves to soften through the body, through awareness, inviting any appreciation that is available. Appreciating ourself for being here. For our practice. Opening and softening with that.
and offering it out into the world. May our practice and the benefits of our practice be a support to all beings everywhere, including ourselves. So thank you for your listening and your practice. We have some time for walking. You can go visit the giants if you wish. And we'll be back here at quarter to nine for our last sitting together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.